Good morning. It's good to see you today. We are in Acts chapter 4, if you want to be turning there in your Bibles or on your devices, or we've got it uh, in the bulletin as well there on your notes sheet. And as I've read Acts 4 and was thinking and praying about this morning all week, I've had a little bit of trouble because I really like this chapter, and I feel like there's like a lot of good stuff in here, you know, three or four weeks worth of stuff. And so part of me is like, should we slow down and take it a piece at a time? So part of me wanted to do less than a whole chapter. And then I've also had trouble because we're right in the middle of a story. You know, like the whole book of Acts is this ongoing story. But what comes next in five, six, seven, eight, like it's all really closely connected in my mind to what we're seeing today in chapter four. So part of me wanted to take less than a chapter. And then part of me wanted to take way more than a chapter. And there was no way to do both those things. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to read chapter 4 today. And we're going to see where we end up. Uh, just see what God says to us. And if we need to come back and hit some more stuff in the weeks to come. Or if we need to just remind ourselves of this and connect it to what comes next. And so I do want you to remember before we read right now where we are in the story. That Jesus was crucified, resurrected. And then he spent 40 days on earth teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And right before he ascended up into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he told them that he was going to give them the, the thing that the Father had promised, this, this gift, this power that was going to come upon them. And what he was talking about was the Holy Spirit, that when he went into heaven, he was going to send the Spirit of God down to his disciples to now live inside them, be with them, and to give them power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That they would go and make him known because the Spirit was now living inside of them. And that happened in Acts chapter 2. And God works this miracle where there's 15 different language groups in Jerusalem in Acts 2. And by the work of the Spirit, when the, the apostles start declaring the truth about Jesus and speaking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all these people are able to understand in their own languages, languages that the apostles aren't speaking. And you've got 3,000 people who come to faith in Jesus that day. And so the church is born and starts to grow really rapidly. And then last week we were in chapter 3, and now every day the apostles are going into the temple courts and teaching people about Jesus and proclaiming the name of Jesus in the temple. And there's this man who's lying there who's been lame since birth, hasn't been able to walk for 40 years, and he's begging for money. And Peter and John look at him and they say, we don't have any money to give you. But what we do have, we'll give this to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And they heal this man. And so all the people who've been coming to the temple for all these years have seen this man lying there. They know that he can't walk, that he's never been able to walk. And he comes jumping and running into the temple, shouting and praising God, which stirs up a huge commotion. Everybody wants to know what's going on. And so Peter sees that as the perfect opportunity to start teaching about Jesus again. That brings us to chapter 4 today, because the religious leaders, the people who are in charge of the temple, you know, the people who were heading up the crucifixion of Jesus and wanted to get rid of Jesus, are not happy at all that even after they've killed the guy, here we're still having to hear his name, and here there's still people following him and believe, like, nothing they had tried to do by killing Jesus has worked. And that's where we are today as we get into chapter 4, and so as we're reading this, just have the story in mind where we are, but especially be listening for what's this teach us about God? Like If this is the way that God was building his church from day one, this is how he did it, this is what he did, this is who he is and how he works through his people, what's this teach us about God? And what's God teaching us about us because of who he is? What's he saying to our hearts? What's he saying to his church? Who's he calling us to be? How is he at work in his church now still building his church? So that's what we're going to be listening for. I'm going to pray for us right now that God will speak to us, 
that God will teach us by his Spirit, just the way that, that Jesus promised, that the Spirit comes to make him known. And so that the Spirit would teach during this time, and this would be a, a time of spiritual work and spiritual power where our hearts are opened up to know and see Jesus more. So will you pray that with me right now? Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you that you have spoken and you have made yourself known and you have revealed yourself and you have given us this truth in your word in the Bible. And thank you that because of the work of Jesus and the promise of Jesus that your spirit has come that he is here right now, living inside of your people. And we ask that by the work and power of your Holy Spirit, that you will teach us right now from the truth of your word, that you will do the spiritual work that only you can do, that we need you to do, that we are desperately dependent on you to do. And so I pray that the Spirit will be the master teacher right now, that he will open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts spiritually to see you and know you and hear from you and love you and trust you. Father, will you please do this work right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, that's Peter and John teaching after they've healed the man, as they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And that gets us to the end of chapter 4, so we'll stop there for today. What's that teach us about God? What jumps out to you, stands out to you? Who God is, how he works, Father, Son, Spirit. God has the ultimate plans. Yeah. God has the ultimate plans. When they get down here, you know, they're being threatened now by the most powerful people in Israel, the, the religious and political authorities in Israel who have already crucified Jesus. And now they're threatening the apostles, like, stop talking in the name of Jesus. They've arrested them, they've held them overnight in prison, and they're threatening worse things if they don't stop talking about Jesus. And, and so they've got this choice, and the way Peter phrases it, are we going to obey men 
and not talk about Jesus anymore because they tell us not to and they've got a lot of power to do a lot of bad things to us? Or are we going to obey God? Like we, know, we know what God has shown us in Jesus. We know who he is. We know that he is the son of God. We know that he has been resurrected and that he's at the right hand of the Father. And we must talk about him. But one of the things that they, they draw encouragement from and comfort from and strength from to keep being bold is that they look at what God's already done. Like in this prayer, they remind themselves, first of all, and I just, well, like they remind themselves of who God is, sovereign, right? King, the one who's in control, the one who rules over these rulers. Yeah, there are these earthly powers, earthly people right now who have something to say to this, but you're sovereign over them. You are in control over them. You have authority over them. You know, Lord, you're the real Lord. This is who we're praying to right now. This, they said that. Now here's who we get to go talk to. Sovereign Lord, the one with the ultimate plans, who made everything, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. Okay, so we're going to come to you now. <laughs> yeah, they, they flexed their muscles. We know what power they have. We also know what power you have. We're coming to you. You spoke you know, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier through David by the Holy Spirit, and they're quoting, by the way, from Psalms again right here. And so this is every time, we've seen it so far, every time that they quote the Old Testament, they, they make the point of saying, yeah, David wrote this, or, you know, so-and-so wrote this, Moses wrote this, but this was the Holy Spirit. This was the Spirit of God. This is the Word of God. So we're going to remind ourselves of who God is, which every week we're asking, what's this teach us about God? Who is God? This is what we need to be reminded of. And we're going to go to the Word of God, right? We're going to remind ourselves of what God has said in His Word. So we're going to remind ourselves of who God is. We're going to remind ourselves of what God has said in His Word. And then they say, you told us this was going to happen. This doesn't surprise you. The Gentiles and the peoples and the kings of the earth, they set themselves against the Lord. Gentiles, peoples, kings of the earth, set themselves against the Lord and His anointed one. He said, all these earthly powers, they are going to be opposed to my anointed one is Jesus. They're going to, when I send my Messiah, they're going to, they are going to fight against. The, the earthly powers of the world are not just going to surrender and submit to the spiritual power that's coming from heaven. And in a sense, they're saying, so we shouldn't be surprised. This hasn't caught you off guard. You told us a thousand years ahead of time that this is what they would do. And that means nothing's out of control right now. Things aren't falling apart. This isn't actually a threat to your church. You had the ultimate plan, and in your plan, you told us this was going to happen. It's happening exactly the way you said it would. Now they keep praying, and they say, hey, it's exactly what they did. Against, here, here is Jewish political leader. Here's Roman political leader. Here's all the non-Jewish people. Here's the Jewish people. Everybody gathered together against Jesus. In that moment, in the trial of Jesus, you want religious leaders, you want political leaders, you want Jewish authorities, you want non-Jewish authorities, you want Roman authorities, all gathered together right there, opposing Jesus, and in their opposition to Jesus, here's what they're all doing. Like, this is all the power you can imagine in Israel, earthly speaking, humanly speaking, coming against Jesus, and here's the result of it. Those, all those earthly powerful people to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. All of them serving the purposes of God. 
all of them under the control of an almighty, all-powerful God who is working out his purposes and his plans. Even in the midst of their evil sinfulness, even in the midst of their rebellion, even in them fighting against the very Son of God and crucifying the Son of God, God is graciously and powerfully and sovereignly still working out his plans and his purposes. There's a thousand things we could say right here, but just when you look at the insanity of our world, and it stirs up anxiety in you, or maybe it stirs up anger in you, or frustration, or fear, I just want you to know that God is in control. Like, none of that is stopping him. None of that is thwarting his plans and his purposes. And our hopes don't rise and fall on anything that happens with any government anywhere in the world because God is God over all of it, the sovereign Lord over all of it. And they can rebel and they can rage and they can fight against him and they will not stop him. He is building his church. He is rescuing his people. He is accomplishing all of his plans and purposes. And just because we've, we've opened like a can of worms, I just, I, I've done it, I know I have. Maybe some of you aren't thinking about it, but I'm going to go there anyway. People get really wrapped up in this whole, whatever he's planned to predestine would take place, and then they do it. And I just read this week, I was rereading uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he gives the best illustration, and I just thought, we'll, we'll talk through it real quick, because I think it may answer questions that, that pop up for people sometimes. Like this whole idea of, so if God is all-powerful and this is his will, then these people, you know, fight against it and do things that he doesn't want. How do we do things that are contrary to his will? And then how is he still working all that in his will? And you know the confusion that we get there, right? Of the sovereign God, but humans who are responsible for what they do and the choices we make really matter and, and all that stuff. So if you're parents, you can especially appreciate this one, but I think anybody can track with it. And he, he makes it so simple. It's what I love about C.S. Lewis. He says, just imagine a parent, and, and, and we'll, do, we'll, do a, we'll, do it, we'll just do me first. Like a dad, all right? So I've got the two girls, Sydney and Emery, and, uh, and we were actually talking on the way to church today about their tendency not to clean everything up all the time, not to put stuff away, the messes that they make, and Christy having to come in behind them and clean up lots of stuff. So, all right, as their dad, I look at their room, their messy room, and I say, here's my will. I want that room to be clean, okay? Simple, right? I want the room to be clean. Now, here's another piece of my will. I want my girls to learn to clean their own room, right? I don't want forever to be me going in there, Christy going in there, somebody coming in behind them cleaning up their room. And what we were actually talking to them about today was when people go off to college and decide, hey, nobody can tell me what to do anymore, and then you go visit their dorm room after a month, and it's the nastiest thing you've ever walked into in your life. And we were saying, we want to at least have taught you how it can be other than that. Now, you may choose to do that when you're gone, and that'll be your choice, but you will be fully responsible because we've taught you something else. That was the conversation we were having. So, I want their room cleaned. I want them to clean it, okay? We have the conversation with them. Hey, it's going to be your responsibility to clean your room. We want you to clean your room. I come home from work tomorrow, I walk by the door, and their room's a mess. Now, I've got two choices. I can clean their room right then, which is my will, right? That I want their room to be clean. And so I can fulfill my will by cleaning their room, or I can leave their room a mess, which is against my will, because I want it to be clean, 
but it also is the only way to fulfill my will because I want them to clean it. Do you see that? That in that one action, I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to do something that's against my will in order to ultimately fulfill my will. And I'm a really simple human being, right? Like I, I'm not real complex about this stuff, but just in that simple moment, we've already created a scenario where none of you find it hard to believe that something would simultaneously be against my will and part of my will. Do you see that? And so when God sends Jesus and these people reject him, that is against God's will. Like He wants us to respond in faith to Jesus. He wants us to believe. He wants us to submit and surrender and trust Jesus. And it is against his will when we reject Jesus. And simultaneously, it is fulfilling this bigger purpose that he has. That, that yes, that they would reject Jesus. And the one that they rejected, he would choose and he would use him to build his church. And he would show grace and mercy and love that couldn't be comprehended otherwise by saving some of the very people who rejected and crucified Jesus and showing himself more gracious and more merciful than we would have otherwise known. By showing himself powerful over the... Like the only way that you really get the picture of, oh, wow, the kings of the earth can't stop God, it's when the kings of the earth oppose God and it does nothing to stop God's plans. And then you... And he's like, so this is my will that you would know this about me, that you would see me this way, that I would show myself this way. And so in order to accomplish this will, yeah, they murder. It's against God's will, right? Thou shalt not kill. But that's part of what he uses to accomplish our salvation. And so God has the, and all that, sorry, get triggered by this word right here. God has the ultimate plans. Now, underneath those ultimate plans, yeah, we've got all our little plans and we, our little power, and we think we know what we're doing, and we think we know how we're going to bring it about, and we don't. <laughs> like, you are not like God. I am not like God. I cannot bring about the things that I intend the way that he can. You cannot bring about the things that you intend the way that he can. And so you can either work against him and you are going to be frustrated in the end. Or you can submit to him and you can trust him and you can watch him do things that never could have happened any other way. God does have the ultimate plans. What else stands out to you? This is the way Chris said it. God uses ignorant, common folk to accomplish that plan. And I really like it because it's one of the things that stood out to me as a pattern we're actually starting to see. So he, all these religious leaders... You know, like these really, really educated. They follow the rules the whole, their whole lives. They, everybody else looks up to them, admires them. Like these are the, the best of the best. And they call Peter and John in in front of them. And Peter and John aren't scared at all. As a matter of fact, they confront them and say, hey, he was healed through the name of Jesus. That tells you something about Jesus. Jesus is alive. You crucified him. That's on you. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And as proof of the fact that he's raised from the dead, Jesus' name is so powerful that this man was healed in the by the name of Jesus. And, and their response is, they saw how bold Peter and John were. 
They're standing in front of the people who have the power to start working toward their crucifixion. Like if they want to crucify Peter and John, we've seen them do it with Jesus. We know they can pull it off. Peter and John, bold, not holding back at all, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men. (laughs) They don't talk like us. They don't sound like us. They don't use the big fancy words we do. They don't belong in these circles, and yet we can't answer them. They were astonished. How can these people be doing this? The reason is because those common, uneducated people had been with Jesus. And Jesus chooses people like that. And Jesus uses people like that. And Jesus does things that are beyond explanation except for the fact that Jesus does them. And one of the things that stood out to me right here is uh, I had written it down this way, and it's the exact same thing that Chris is saying. God uses what humans reject. And I, it, was just, it was happening so many times right here that so Peter and John, like the religious leaders never would have given Peter and John a second thought. Like Peter and John couldn't qualify for any of their category. They didn't have any of the achievements or the accomplishments or the credentials or the experience or the education. Nothing that the religious leaders would have said that Peter and John needed to be an authority figure in Israel. They're rejected in those circles. And Jesus chooses them to be the mouthpiece for his church, to be the ones who make him known, to be his apostles, to have the keys of the kingdom of heaven given to them. Like what the world would reject, that's what God chooses. That's who God uses. And then you see it more. So, you know, we see it with Peter and John. We also see it, the whole thing that started this story back in chapter 3 with the lame beggar. Like, like this is, you know, the earliest days of the church. God, God's drawing attention, getting people's attention, drawing attention to what he's doing. And out of all the things, he chooses this lame beggar who's been there for 40 years, which, you know, never, never been able to do anything for himself. No power, no authority, no influence, nothing. And Peter and John heal him, and that becomes the catalyst. Like, this is the thing that gets everybody's attention, that stirs up all the 5,000 people, 5,000 men coming to faith in Jesus at the end of chapter 3. And now the religious leaders are involved here in chapter 4, and they're saying, we we can't deny what they've done because everybody sees it. And, And just think about it. God chooses a lame beggar to get the attention of the whole city to show them who he is. He, he doesn't go through the king. He doesn't go through the priest. He doesn't go through some really influential authority figure who has a big platform. He goes through a nobody who has nothing. He says, God basically says, I create my own platforms. I don't need yours. I don't need the king's platform. I don't need the priest's platform. I create my own platforms with lame beggars. What humans reject, God uses. But then the best one of all, look at the way they talk about Jesus. Like, you should know this is what God does because when God did the biggest thing he's ever done, this is what he did. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. 
You're supposed to be the people of God. You're supposed to be the religious leaders. You're in charge of the temple. The Old Testament, which is the whole Bible this time, has been entrusted to you. And you spend day and night copying it down over and over and over. That's what the scribes were. right? They just wrote the Bible over and over and over. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they've memorized it. They're supposed to teach. He's like, you're supposed to be the people of God and the teachers of God's Word. You've been entrusted with God's Word. And you rejected the Son of God, which has become the cornerstone You said, this rock is worthless. We don't want it. Don't put it anywhere in our building. And God says, the rock that doesn't go anywhere in your building is the centerpiece of my entire kingdom. (laughs) Everything else will be built on Jesus. He will be at the center of it. He will hold it all together. God chooses what the world rejects. God chooses the people who are outcasts and rejects and failures. The people who, they could never, ever, ever do this on their own. They could never build their own platform. They could never accomplish anything. And God says, you, I want you, you, right here. That's who I choose. He goes to the trash heap of humanity and pulls us off. And he says, you, you'll be my treasure. I'll use you to make myself known. What don't you have? Listen, why? What are, what are all your reasons, all your excuses? Why could it not be you making Jesus known? Are you not bold enough? Do you not have the right personality? Do you not have the right charisma? Are you not influential enough? Are you not successful enough? Are you not educated enough? Are you not intelligent enough? What is it? Like why week after week when you're afraid to go out and say to somebody, hey, can I pray with you and let's read the Bible together? When you're afraid to to start this in your home, when you're afraid to do this in your neighborhood, when you're afraid to do this, what are your reasons? You've got reasons, and they're good reasons. There's there's all sorts of reasons why it shouldn't be you, because there's all sorts of reasons why it shouldn't be Peter and John. What are your reasons why you don't? Whatever they are, that's exactly why he wants to use you. Stop being afraid of your weakness. Stop waiting until you feel like you're strong to go do it. Your weakness is the thing that qualifies you for God's kingdom. Your lack is the thing that draws him to you. He is full and he flows to fill up empty, weak, lacking people. You're right where he wants you. Because you're right, you don't have it. You don't have this spiritual power. You can't do this work. But he can. And he does. And he has sent his spirit and he's promised to do it through his people. You're qualified if you know that you aren't qualified. Let God build his church this way. I pray that God builds his church this way through us. What else do you see? God gives boldness to share. Tyson said God's news. I'll put God's word. I can't tell you how much every week it really encourages me when I've read through the chapter and prayed and jotted down some notes. I thought, I think this is stuff we're supposed to talk about. And we come in here and I pray for God to speak to us. And you all say like everything that's written down. And it's just like, I know, like, I know that God's saying that to us. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me, you think about what they're facing. 
Right, here's the, the people who crucified Jesus. We know what they're capable of. We know they're willing to do it. And they're now they're threatening the early church. They're threatening Peter and John, the leaders of the church, and they're saying, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Like, this is a serious threat. This is a, a, a major danger and threat to the church. And the possibility is, hey, these people, they have the power to kill this thing, to kill us and kill this movement. And you might think that the response to that, well, first of all, you might think the response to that would be to panic, right? (laughs) But instead, just notice that the first response, they go to their friends, so they get back in community together with each other, and they lifted their voices together to God. So they don't panic, right? They pray. We're not going to panic, and we're not going to feel like, hey, we've got to figure out how to solve this thing. That's not our knee-jerk reaction. We can't solve this thing. But he can. And he will. And so our first response to this threat is to pray. Let's pray together. Now, in their prayer... I feel like you know, if in a lot of our prayer circles, if we were to share this, I'm just going. I'll write it over here. I think this might be what we would pray for, right? Hey, they're threatening to kill us. Pray for our safety. Pray they don't kill us. Is that what they pray for here? When we finally, they spend so much time talking about who God is, by the way, that you almost forget they're praying, <laughs> like that they're going to ask for something. That, that may be a really good pattern for all of us in prayer, to realize that the primary thing in prayer is to remember who God is. Be reminded of who he is and what he's already done, because when you see who he is, when you see what he's already done, this thing that you're about to pray about, you start to see it in perspective relative to him. And that's a great starting place. But when they finally get down here to what they're going to ask for, say, look at, Lord, look at all their threats. Look what they've said to us. Look at their threats and stop them. Look at their threats and protect us. Look at their threats and give us safety. You know, none of those things. Look at their threats They've told us to be quiet. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They don't pray for safety. They pray for boldness. And specifically, boldness to speak God's word. Which, first of all, if you're praying for boldness, just that means you don't have it, right? Like it's not that they're not afraid. It's not that they don't realize how serious this is. It's, okay, the only way that we can respond the right way to this is if God gives us boldness because we don't have it on our own, and he's the source of it. And we know that's what we need, so we're going to ask him for it. God, give us boldness in spite of what the world says, in spite of what the world thinks, in spite of what anybody else would say we should do, in spite of what worldly wisdom would tell us to do right now. Give us your boldness to do what you would have us to do. And we know what you would have us to do is to keep speaking your word, to keep making Jesus known, to keep telling the truth of who you are. Like This is the priority for the church. 
It's why Jesus says, I'll give you my spirit, right? You will receive power, power for boldness when my spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, wherever you go, always making Jesus known. And they've heard him and they know that this is what we're supposed to do, but we don't have that on our own. So give us boldness. And it's not human boldness. When God answers, when they had prayed, do you know how much prayer matters if this is the way that God uses prayer in his church? Do you know how much it matters that you would pray? Pray that we would make Jesus known. Pray that you would make Jesus known. Pray that God would give you what you need. When they had prayed, God answers. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's where the boldness comes from. And continue to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the gift of God to his people. This is the Spirit of God producing in them a supernatural boldness that does not have a human explanation. It's not based on their personalities. It's not based on their position or their power or anything. It's based on the fact that the Spirit of God was coming and living in the people of God and giving them what they needed to build the church of God and speak the Word of God. Like This is the work of God in His people. And one other thing while we're on it, I just wanted you to to think about right here because this has stood out to me. Back in chapter 2, when the Spirit comes for the very first time on the church, do you remember what visibly what that looked like? Somebody just shout it out. Yeah, like tongues of fire over their head. And it said they were filled with the Spirit, and they go out in the streets, and they start declaring the Word of God. You remember that in chapter 2? Now in chapter 4, it's interesting to me that the, the external manifestation, like the visible thing you can see with your eyes, what happens this time? Is it tongues of fire? No. What happens? Yeah, so the building is shaken. So, and I think this is a great, you know, we, I talked a few weeks ago about the difficulty we have in Acts sometimes of, is this prescriptive or descriptive? Is it telling us the way it always is going to be or just describing what happened? I think you already see right here, when God sends his spirit, there isn't this pattern externally of it always does the same thing externally, right? Because chapter 2, when the spirit comes, tongues of fire, just an indication of what's going on. Chapter 4, the building's shaken. Totally different things externally. But what's the result? What's the purpose both times when the Spirit comes? They speak the Word of God boldly. Right? They, they, in chapter 2, they bust out of their hiding place and start declaring the Word of God. In chapter 4, it just flat out tells us they continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. And so the, the external manifestations of the Spirit, they're going to keep changing throughout, throughout Acts, by the way. Chapter 6, Pete, uh, Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit and his face glows. You know, it's something we haven't seen yet. Later on, sometimes it tells people are filled with the Holy Spirit and it doesn't describe anything external. That changes. Every single time throughout the whole book that somebody is filled with the Spirit, here's what they do. They make Jesus known. When the Spirit of God comes, the Word of God is declared. That is always why God gives his spirit, to declare his word. It's the spirit of God and the word of God, and that's how God builds the people of God, the church of God. Always, and they're always together. The spirit is always for making Jesus known. And, and so a lot of the confusing things sometimes that people get caught up in acts, like, do we need this? Do we need this sign? Do we need to be able to see this? No. 
The Spirit, he shows up however he wants. When Jesus talks about him in John 3, this is like the wind blowing. Nobody knows where it comes from or where it goes. We don't don't understand that. The the Spirit is the Spirit of God, this sovereign God who's God over all things, this God who has authority and power that's so great that it makes him mysterious to us in certain ways when he works in certain ways. That's who this Spirit is. And he shows up how he wants, and he manifests himself how he wants, but it's always for the same purpose. Always to make Jesus known. Always. Like he gives power for Jesus. He gives power so that you will declare the word. What else stands out to you? A couple more. God uses community to carry out his plan. Yeah. Yeah, add to it, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, okay, let's just, let's, let's park here and wrap up here today. Next, we'll shoot for 10 minutes. We'll see what happens. Um, here's the threat to Peter and John. What are they going to do? Are they going to run and hide? Are they going to be like, well, we're the leaders. We've got to take care of this ourselves. You know, everybody looks up to us. No, they, they go back to the rest of the believers. When they're released, they go to their friends, and they tell them, like, just, hey, this is what's going on. We're doing life together. We're going to talk openly and honestly about the stuff we're facing, and we're going to come together, and we're going to pray together for God to move and work. This is the type of community that we're talking about in the people of God when we share our lives with one another. When we're involved and when we're saying, hey, here's what's going on. Here's the big threat I'm facing. Here's the thing I'm struggling with. How do I respond to that? I come and I tell people about it. I talk to somebody about it. And it's why we encourage you to be involved in a community group, a small group, a house group, a house church, whatever you want to call it, this smaller group of people where you can really know each other and be involved in each other's lives and praying for each other and praying with each other. That God does use community to carry out his plan. It's not just Peter and John. It's Peter and John coming back to the whole church and the whole church praying together and the whole church being filled with the Spirit. And then where Adam was building on that, when the people of God are together, praying together, and God sends the Spirit of God on them, that when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, the very next thing Luke starts to describe for us is, so yeah, they speak the Word of God with boldness, and then the very next thing, every single one of them, the full number of those who believe, this is... Like, it's sad to say this, but it's true, and I know you're going to agree. Like, if there really are 20,000 people at this point, you know, 5,000 men, and last week we talked about you add women and children, that may be 20,000 believers. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Like, I feel like most of the time now, you could walk into any of our North American, Western churches, which I say that because I'm much more familiar with our church culture, and if you have 20 people, you'll have 26 opinions right? 20,000 people? One heart and one soul? We can't do it with 20 people. 
Because we need this. Like we need the Spirit of God to come and do a supernatural work. We don't need to build a human organization on human principles. We need the Spirit of God to build the spiritual people of God. And, and why are they one heart and one soul? Because they've only got one purpose. To make Jesus known. To make disciples of Jesus. To declare the word of God. The Spirit comes and they start speaking the word boldly. And listen, if you're speaking the word boldly and I'm speaking the word boldly and you're speaking the word boldly, we're, there may be a million things we don't agree about. Who cares? Because <laughs> this is what we're doing. We can disagree on literally almost everything else in the whole world. And if the Spirit of God has lit a fire inside of our hearts to make disciples and make Jesus known, we'll be united because that's the thing we care about. And so, yeah, God uses community to carry out his plan. And I'm just going to add, God also creates community by his Spirit. carry out his plan. And listen, every time we say his plan, at this point he's told us enough that I hope you know his plan. Make disciples. Make Jesus known. That is his plan for building the church. That is his plan for rescuing his world. That is his plan for drawing people to himself. That is his plan for producing spiritual growth and spiritual fruit in believers. It's always through Jesus and through the name of Jesus. And so God creates this community where they're all of one heart and one soul. And, and one of the ways that this manifests itself is that they look at all their stuff, all their worldly possessions, and they say, hey, I don't own any of this. This sovereign Lord that we're praying to, he made earth and heaven and seas and everything in them. He made it all. It's all his. And so whatever he's given to me, I'm not an owner of it. I'm a steward of it. And now that we're joined together in his family, this belongs to you as much as it does to me. So no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Like, yeah, it belongs to me. God gave it to me. But it is not my own. It's from God to be shared with the people of God. And then Luke revisits this in just a minute. The apostles, this community that God's creating, this community of faith, they just keep declaring the resurrection of Jesus. It is Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the truth of his resurrection. The fact that he came back from the dead, that's why he can come and live inside of spiritually dead people and bring you to life. That's why he can produce things out of people who are not, like out of the rejected and the outcasts and the people who don't have, because he brought life out of death. What do you think he can bring out of you? So they declare the resurrection, and the result, the message of the resurrection, is great grace being poured out on these people. And when grace, I want you to see this, when grace starts hitting your heart, when grace is really hitting your heart, so the resurrection has the power for great grace. And then great grace results in great generosity. When great grace was upon them all, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold 
and laid it at the apostles' feet and distributed to each as they had in need. Like this is, this is what grace, how it manifests itself in the early church. This, whatever I have, God has given to me. God's given it to me for his purposes. I want to be sensitive and prayerful and listening. How would God have me use this for his church, for his people, for his purposes? And we'll get into this more next week. There's a contrast getting ready to happen between Barnabas, where we end in chapter 4, and Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. And so as you're reading this week and study on your own, look at that. Con- like, don't let the break between 4 and 5 break your thought, all right? Because what we get with Barnabas here is directly contrasted with what we get with Ananias and, chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. But just notice right now that when the grace of God really starts to impact your heart, it results in great generosity. And so, you know, like, as a church, when, when people give tithes and offerings, I want to ask you this morning, and some of you, this won't be a new thought for you at all, but some of you, it may be, and some of us just need to be reminded, like over and over and over, just like the apostles are, I'm going to declare the resurrection of Jesus to you again today and again tomorrow and again next week. It's going to be the message from now on. And so it's good for us to be reminded that some of us, when we give to the church, or if we give to the church, there's a tendency to give like we would to any other organization that we support, any other you know, charity that we believe in, like a cause that matters to us. And we're like, oh yeah, I care about that. I want them to be able to do the work that they're doing. And so I give to them for that reason. Like, you know, like however much they convince me that it's, it's worthwhile and it's valuable and what they're doing is a good cause, I'll give to that. And so some of us come and we say, okay, I know we need to pay for this building and, and we have staff that provide certain services to our kids and our, our students and, and to, to, to run the office and to, to manage all the stuff. And so we need, to, we need to give to keep that thing going. You know, like I, I believe this is a worthwhile cause to have this building here and this church here and to build a meet here and to have these ministries. And so I'll give to that. And I'm going to ask you, don't give for that reason. Don't give specifically because you want this building or these programs or this ministry or this staff to be funded. Give because the grace of God is melting your heart and you believe Jesus is worth it. Like let your giving be an expression of the value of Jesus that you give to him. It's his church. And it's not defined by need, like not, not how much the church needs to keep going. And it's not defined by vision. Well, if we give this much, we can do this. And it's not defined by, well, this is my responsibility. This is what the law says I should do. None of that. It's defined by the fact that my heart is learning to love Jesus. And I give to him. And he's set it up where I give to him through his church. So here, this is yours. This is what you're worth. This is how I trust you. Like you, you have given all of this to me. So certainly I can give some back to you because I know that you'll take care, you've already been taking care of me. This is me trusting you that, that I don't have to hoard and grip and hold tightly because you didn't hoard and grip and hold tightly. You gave your whole life. You gave up your place in heaven. You gave your glory. You gave it all for your church. I can trust you that you'll give me what I need. And so I'm going to ask you, would you orient your mind toward 
we give to Jesus. We give because of Jesus. We give what has come from Jesus. And then we trust Jesus to do whatever he needs to do in his church. Let our giving be an act of worship to Jesus, a statement about Jesus. And then the last thing I want you to see about Jesus this way, when we get down here to Barnabas, and he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is a really big act of generosity, right? Like selling a piece of property that he owns the land. He's probably getting profit from the land. They're probably farming every year. And he sells it, and he just says, here, here you go, whatever you need. This isn't a designated fund. Like, you don't have to use it the way I tell you to. Just here, at the apostles' feet, whatever, whatever needs there are, whatever you see, whatever's going on in the church, here, you can have it. And the way that Luke had said it earlier was, they did not say that any of the things that belonged to them was their own. Right? I know I've marked all through it. But, so that's what Barnabas is doing there. He's in this field that belongs to me. I'm not going to treat it like it's my own. I know it's God's, and so I'm going to give it to God's church to be used however God wants for his purposes. And this is a, this is a great moment where the grace of God has come on the early church and the grace of God's at work in Barnabas' heart and the grace of God's producing great generosity in Barnabas. But I want to make sure you see that it's not because of Barnabas The reason that Barnabas does this is because Barnabas is seeing who Jesus is. Hey, if there's ever been anyone who said, the things that belong to me are not my own, Jesus looked at a whole bunch of lost, unrighteous, wicked sinners who were far from God, who deserved death and punishment, and he said, you know what, my righteousness I'm not going to treat it like it's my own. I'll give it to you. My place in heaven, I'm not going to treat it like it's my own. I will share it with you. My life, I'm not going to keep it for myself like it's my own. I will pour it out for you. My death, it won't be my own. It won't be for me. It'll be for you. Jesus looked at everything that belonged to him, and that was everything. It all belonged to him. And he said, I won't treat it like it's my own. I'll share it with you. With my people, with the ones that I love, with the ones that I've chosen, with the ones that I'm calling to myself. I will give you everything that's mine so that you can have what you need and you can have what you would never have on your own. And so when we wrap up right here and you see this great example of Barnabas, I hope that, that your heart's stirred up by it and you say, I want that type of grace in me. I want that type of community. I want that type of generosity. But when you see it, make sure you see that Jesus is a better Barnabas. Jesus is greater than Barnabas is just living out a shadow of what Jesus did on a universal, worldwide scale. Like Jesus did this with all the glory and riches of heaven, with all of his eternal glory as the Son of God. He said, I won't hoard it and keep it for myself. I won't consider it my own. I'll lay it down. I'll give it to you. I'll give it for you. I'll let you share in it. Come, come be part of my people. Come be part of my church. Come be joined to me. Let me give you everything that's mine. 
That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus offers you. You can trust him. You can follow him. Jesus is worth it. And I pray that you see him this morning. I pray that God opens your eyes and you see Jesus and you love Jesus and you trust Jesus. So we're going to worship Jesus together right now. In response to what God's saying to us, we're going to join together as the people of God. I pray in one heart and one soul. And we're going to worship God and thank God and praise God. And so our worship team's going to come here and lead us in a couple more songs. And will you pray with me right now that God will be doing this in our hearts? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you did not look at your own son and say, he's my own and I'm keeping him for myself. Thank you that you sent your son to us to give us what we could never have on our own, to give us what we desperately needed. And then, Jesus, thank you that you didn't look at your spirit and say, this is mine and I'm keeping it for myself. Thank you that you sent your spirit and you have given him to your people. Please, by the work of Jesus and the power of your spirit, make us people who look more and more like you, who love more and more like you, who give and share and pour out more and more like you. Live in us as your people and build us up as your church. Father, we ask for boldness to make Jesus known, to declare Jesus, to make disciples. We ask for the type of hearts that say we will obey God and not men. We ask for the type of hearts that will say whatever the cost, Jesus is worth it. We don't want you to deliver us out of everything going on wrong in the world. We want you to send us in to everything going wrong with the world with the name of Jesus as the hope for the world. Father, make us that type of church and that type of people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.